Welcome to Acquire, Tearsheet's marketing podcast. I'm your host, Tearsheet's head of studio, Rebecca Cohen. On today's episode, I'm speaking with Scott Gitson, founder and CEO of Strawberry Frog. This past February, we had Scott speak at our Acquire conference, where he told us about how Strawberry Frog strategized and executed the brand process behind the mergers that made today's truest and first Abu Dhabi bank. I invited Scott to talk to us today about his recent book, Activate Brand Purpose, How to Harness the Power of Movements to Transform Your Company. Ultimately, though, our conversation ended up covering much more, like doing marketing with soul and intention, the shifting pyramid of power where the boss is no longer God, and the power of truly taking on corporate responsibility. Typically on the podcast, I'm speaking about specific campaigns with CMOs, creative directors, sometimes CEOs, founders, and usually some product folks. But this conversation is a bit different since Strawberry Frog is not a fintech or an FI at all, but rather a marketing agency that has been for the past 20 plus years, dreaming up and executing campaigns for some of the biggest names in finance and tech and more. So I'm really excited about our conversation today and to bring our listeners some of Scott's pearls of wisdom about brand and purpose. Scott, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Rebecca. Thanks for having me. So I usually save this question for the end, but in your case, I'm just going to jump right in. Scott, what makes you an amazing marketer? I would say uh, empathy. Um, Trying to put myself in people's shoes and uh, both people who run large financial institutions, but also the people with which they serve, um, all different stakeholders. And I think if you start with those individuals, you come up with a really different uh, solution. You know, it's less about um, trying to sell people products uh, and more about trying to build uh, architecture within which people feel compelled to engage with an organization because there's a shared purpose that they and the financial institution are striving to achieve together. And in today's world, that's really the key. Strawberry Frog has been around for a while. And in that time period, you've managed to work with some of the biggest FIs on the planet, really. I mentioned first Abu Dhabi Bank and Truist, but also Morgan Stanley, Credit Suisse, Prudential, just to name a few. I'm sure you've learned a lot in the past 20 some years, but I'm wondering, do you remember your very first client? Um, our first client was the um, the launch of the smart car, which was developed by Swatch and Mercedes. And the the marketing idea was a movement to reinvent the urban environment. It wasn't the launch of a B segment car. You know, the traditional car ads are about here's a new car with two doors and you know fancy tires and so forth. Instead, we said, look, the cities of Europe are congested. Parking is is crazy. Traffic is worse. Um, parking, you know, rental car parking lots are full on weekends with tons of cars. Somebody's got to come in and do something about it. It might as well be smart. And in conjunction with mayors and, you know, community leaders and parking leaders and rental car companies. And so par- so smart took the initiative to, to create a purpose and then activate it through a movement. And today, Smart is still around. And uh, it was a very successful um, framework. And you've since applied that framework to some of the biggest brands across various verticals, right? Lots of FIs and tech firms, but also major retailers like Ikea and Walmart. Uh, before we jump into the recent book, though, I, I do want to take a step back with a background from your first book from 2012 uh, titled Uprising. How to Build a Brand and Change the World by Sparking Cultural Movements. I love that title. 
Would you would you consider that period around 2012 or a little bit before as the seed year in which you first started thinking, first started formulating brand as purpose activated through movement or was that much earlier? It started in the 90s, early 90s, actually. I grew up in, uh, I was born in Canada, but I, I started my my career in Stockholm, Sweden. And uh, in, the in the late 80s and early 90s, the consumers in the Nordics started demanding more of the companies that were delivering products. They wanted less packaging. They wanted more women on board. So they were driving, uh, the consumer was driving uh, progressive issues. And uh, as a result, companies started to change their um, hiring practices, their, well, basically everything. And uh, in those early days, we didn't call it purpose, but it was purpose. And we started developing purpose strategies for a lot of the Swedish multinationals. Like I worked with Ericsson, H&M, um, some other, IKEA, uh, which today is still a very purpose-driven organization. And uh, that worked very well in the Nordics and also Northern Europe, like the Netherlands and Germany. But as soon as we started launching Ericsson and other Scandinavian companies in Eastern Europe, in Asia, in South America, Brazil, and believe it or not, the United States, people were like, purpose? What are you talking about? That's crazy. I don't understand it. So what I realized at that point was purpose is very theoretical, and we're not a university, so we need to think differently. So this is when I, I came to the realization that we should be, we should be designing a movement using the principles of societal movements to build a group of passionate advocates around an idea that both the company and the human can get behind to seek some form of positive change. So your book Uprising walks the reader through five core tenets of, of movement marketing. For our listeners who are interested, I definitely recommend you check out the book um, in this thinking model. But Scott, maybe you can just give us the first tenet, you know, what, what's that first most important question that a brand has to ask itself before undertaking movement marketing? The first key thing is, okay, what is the change we want to drive? And that, that's the first question. And what's important is it has to somehow connect back to the brand purpose or the brand culture in some way. And there's so many examples of companies that just are flat footed where they they tried to piggyback on a social issue, which is popular, but it doesn't make any sense. So, for example, in the United States, um, there's a peanut brand called Planters Peanuts that is currently running, or not currently, but a year ago ran ads, decrying the need for equal pay between men and women. Now, that's like, why would a peanut brand advocate women making the same as men. Of course, women should make the same as men. But do people really think that a peanut brand should do that? Or another example was Audi who came up and said women should get paid the same as men. And of course, nobody in the executive leadership team was a woman at Audi. So again, how can you come out and say that when you don't have representation? So you really need, the first point is you really need to connect back with the culture of the organization and the brand purpose. Otherwise, people think you're you know, it's just BS. And today everybody's waiting for you to not deliver against your purpose. 
it seems obvious that companies would take a more intelligent approach than just the simple virtue signaling without any real meaning behind it. But we end up seeing it all the time. Um, a really common example is, you know, greenwashing in the financial space, all these green campaigns and aspirations, which are obviously just a response to the consumer's need, which, as you mentioned, is not a new thing in the Nordics or Northern Europe, but definitely something of the recent few years in the U.S. And today, everybody cares about something. Uh, multiple things. And to stand out from the competition, brands really need to convince consumers as well as their employees that they care about the same things in meaningful ways. What are your thoughts about that? Look, people don't sit around watching TV and advertising on television anymore. Um, they just don't. You're spending all your time on social media and probably watching the news these days with what's going on in the world. So, you know, if you want to engage with people, you've got to engage them in a way that they, you know, piques their interest. And, you know, of course, price and convenience and, you know, slick advertising can help. But if you really want a sustained engagement with people, you really need to think bigger than that. You know, an example of that is, you know, we did the merger of the largest financial institution in the world a couple of years ago, which was the National Bank of Abu Dhabi and the first Gulf Bank merged. You know, when we sat down and said, okay, what do we want to say? What is it this organization can deal, can do? that hasn't been done before and as needed in the world. The world doesn't need another bank. I mean, there's a lot of banks out there and especially in, in the United Arab Emirates, there are quite a few. So this was you know, a huge financial institution and we said, okay, um, let, you know, this, this country needs to help its citizens grow stronger because there's economic change affecting the citizens of Abu Dhabi. There was, at the time, oil prices were very low, and the government were changing things. They were um, uh, they needed to increase financial literacy among uh, Emiratis. So we want to help the Emiratis grow stronger, become financially literate, and understand how to bank and how to deal with their financial situation. We also want to help Abu Dhabi grow stronger, both in the region and globally, because they had aspirations to be um, engaged with the world and. We wanted to also inspire the merged employees to want to come together and work at this new entity. Because you know, when mergers happen, people leave. So we wanted to say, if you stay here, you're going to grow stronger because we're going to teach you, we're going to inspire you, we're going to grow you as an employee of this organization. And finally, we wanted to also explain why this these two organizations were merging. So Grow Stronger did a great job of doing that. So the Grow Stronger movement was really about helping the customers, helping the employees, helping the society, and helping people understand why. And our first launch, uh, one of the pieces of communication we did at the beginning was about a woman who you see in this film and you see her rising in an elevator. She's among a number of men in the elevator. And as it uh, ascends to the top of this, this tall building in, in Abu Dhabi, the men kind of leave the elevator. And then as the elevator arrives at the top, it's only the woman left and she walks out and you realize that she's actually the, the head of the company. And it was just a statement about, you know, when, what it takes to grow stronger. Um, it was like a philosophical idea, really powerful. Amazingly, two years later, the bank appointed the first woman CEO in the history of the region for a financial institution. So I think I'm not directly, I'm not saying directly that that had a major influence, but I think it certainly created the 
idea that was acceptable and, and not only acceptable, but valued. So there is this tension. We see this in green finance, like I said, with the greenwashing and all these pledges for carbon offsetting and the likes. And and I think we're realizing that that's, that's not really it. You know, even if these actions do end up making a difference on the environment, that's great. But in terms of brand relationship with consumers and employees, it's pretty obvious that they're not coming from a real place when they're not coming from a real place because businesses are ultimately here to do business, not save the planet. Uh, we've never known that more. And, and that's kind of the overwhelming feeling I hear, at least in my circles in the industry. So I guess I just want to know, what's your opinion on corporate responsibility these days, what it looks like, where it's coming from, how it should be? I think corporate responsibility was a term developed in the 1980s when people realized that Milton Friedman was wrong. It's not just about making as much profit as possible, that there's a role for, for smart leaders, men and women, to do something um, that not only sells product, but actually you know, doesn't poison the customer. You know, like it's actually in the interest of the company to keep your customers alive and and wealthy and um, and you know not eating toxins and not you know just so I think there was a there was a realization and they termed that social responsibility because I don't think they knew what to do with it. It was such a new idea that they put it in a little box and they hired someone, they put them in the corner and said, You do something socially responsible over there. And occasionally they invested in you know something. Today, we're, what we're seeing from the Purpose Power Index is consumers are demanding companies do more. And sometimes they're extremely vocal in their requests. And uh, so companies now, CEOs, have spent a few years going home at night and their kids are saying, Dad, what are you doing? Mom, I don't get it. What are you doing? You're ruining the world. Like, Dad, come on. They heard that from their kids for a while. Now they're hearing from the customers and the consumers. So I think there's an impetus for them to, to really institutionalize a better path forward. And so it's a completely new level. This puts CSR at the center of the whole strategy. It opens up a whole new world of thinking. And if you go to, um, we did a uh, event um, last year with Inc. Magazine called the um, Purpose Power Summit. And we had a number of CEOs speak, including Bill Rogers, who's now the CEO of Truist. And he said the first thing he did together with Kelly King, who was the CEO of BB&T, was he and the two of them actually wrote the purpose for Truist. It was the first thing they did before anything else. And they had, they, when they completed that, COVID hit. And the purpose was inspiring and building better lives and communities. So when COVID hit, they didn't think twice. Truist was the first financial institution to engage in the communities. That purpose gave them like a rudder that they could sail their ship right into the middle of the storm and not be thrown off by gale force winds and seven feet waves, they were able to navigate because they had that purpose. That's a really interesting point. And, you know, I was wondering while you were talking, if you've gotten any feedback or maybe even like pushback from some of the executives at the companies that you're working for, because you're coming in and you're laying down this plan for a whole new attitude towards both the employee and the customer, um, a brand new view of the company and the day-to-day -day mission. So, 
is it possible that you've gotten pushback from some of the legacy folks with some of the legacy thinking and getting, you know, executive members on board? When you sit down with senior executives and you and you walk through the the, the thinking about this idea of a purpose and then activating that purpose with the movement, they they agree. They understand it because they are living through it. I'll give you I'll give you a really good example. The traditional pyramid of power, right? At the top of the pyramid is the boss, God, whatever you know you have as your as the thing that you look up to for your inspiration. When we grew up, or years, you know, a few years ago, the boss knew everything, and you know, when the boss said do something, you did it. Today, people are getting their inspiration, their news and messaging from their peers, not from the boss. You know, 10 years ago, you looked to the editor of Vogue for your fashion inspiration. Now there's 50,000, you know, Instagram bloggers. So the world is, the pyramid has shifted. Now it's the bottom of the pyramids upside down. So if you, as a CEO, are trying to motivate 10,000, 100,000, 2 million employees, Walmart has two and a half million employees. How do you engage them? You do it by demanding compliance, or do you do it by saying, we together want to do something that's relevant to all of us, that matters to each and every one of us. Let's come together and solve this together. That is going to achieve greater impact than simply the more traditional approach. The, the more traditional approach was designed for a time when people listened to a tiny group of leaders. They don't anymore. So from a marketing standpoint, as a brand looking to, you know, activate my purpose, does it make sense for me to hone in on a specific, significantly large, but specific kind of niche customer or employee? Or is it actually about creating a cultural movement that speaks to as many people as possible? I think it needs to speak to all of us. Um, and, you know, if you make it too narrow then I think you risk making it irrelevant to a lot of people. And, uh, and that's not the trick. I mean, you know, there are certainly opportunities for certain types of brands to get super specific and very, um, you know, push on um, an issue. Like, for example, there's a, um, on, on television right now, there's an um, uh, employment agency that is, advertising and they talk very much about the need for equality and pay. Now that makes sense because they hire women and they hire men and you know they're reaching out to both and they do it in a really intelligent way. That to me makes sense. You know, less so for Audi, less so for peanuts. Um, so in some instances that very specific message is important. I think the key thing is to develop a very sophisticated message that can appeal to a broad range of people. So for example, um, we were given the task to activate the brand purpose for SunTrust Bank, which is a very large, was a very large bank based in Atlanta. It's now part of Truist. The purpose was lighting the way to financial well-being, which what's good about that is it says to everyone, you know, let's focus on the end, the customer. Let's get close to the customer. Let's help them. However, lighting the way to financial well-being, you know, as I said to you at the beginning of the podcast, can sound a bit theoretical if you're a teller of a bank and you have a high school education and you're making an hourly wage. So what does lighting the way to financial well-being mean to you? It's hard to figure that out. So we 
activated that purpose with a movement called On Up, which was short for onwards and upwards. On Up was a movement against financial stress and for financial confidence. We designed the message to be highly motivating for the employees of uh, of um, SunTrust. And the CEO and the leadership of SunTrust, they were really great at coming up with ideas for us to deliver on as well. And we came up with a really intelligent uh, program, which was spearheaded by another person inside the organization named Brian Ford called Momentum On Up, which was an employee-based financial literacy program that was created by SunTrust, first for their own employees, but then it was packaged and given away for free to 200 of the largest corporations in America, Delta Airlines, Home Depot, many others. Very incredibly well done and highly appreciated. It helped people you know, understand some basics about finance. So it added a real benefit. Think about that. Like we're helping people as opposed to just simply selling them products. It builds a deeper relationship. It builds a relation. It builds a relationship in today's world versus just, you know, a superficial product selling. Scott, I'm, I'm just looking at the time and that we've been talking so much because you really have so much to share. We're not even scraping the surface. So I want us to get back and finish on a strong note, uh, talking about your recent book, Activate Brand Purpose. Um, yeah, I guess I'm wondering, you know, what's happened between this book in 2021 and Uprising from way back in 2012? Well, the, the first book I wrote, Uprising, was full of about 50 cases, case studies of movements that we've done across different sectors. And it was really just about movements, how you design a movement, how you activate a movement. And we launched the book and it became a bestseller. It's a, and, and it's a great tool to introduce you to the, the, the concept of movement uh, as a marketing concept, but also a transformational concept if you're transforming a company or building a culture or changing behavior of employees. What we realized was, though, that we were missing a link to purpose. Because a lot of companies now are talking about purpose and they couldn't connect the dots. They couldn't say, okay, we have a purpose. And then a movement really does a great job of bringing that purpose to life. So we decided to write a book. After we had done the first study, the Purpose Power Index, we saw that the biggest challenge for leaders today is how do you get beyond toothless purpose? You know, like the CEO has a purpose, he puts it on the wall behind him and nothing ever happens. You know, the CEO writes a purpose and she hands it out on a, to her C-suite and no one does anything. Just, oh, that's wonderful, applause, and then nothing ever happens. So we said, that's the biggest challenge. How do you actually get them to activate? And after talking with CEOs and other leaders, we realized that we needed a how-to. So Activate Brand Purpose is a how-to guide on how to activate the purpose. And we actually look at, the book is 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 written to look at different C-suite leaders. So there's a chapter for the CMO. There's a chapter for the head of the CHRO or the uh, chief people officer. Uh, because, of course, um, changing behaviors, changing habits, changing mindsets, changing culture is an important issue today, you know, after COVID. Um, and we did a chapter even about the CFO and ideas for how, you know, organizations can use movement to um, solve some financial issues for the CFO. So we, we did that. 
Um, and of course, we also included many cases as well as in, in their new cases. Um, and that's really the intent of the book. And I think uh, the response has been very positive. There's the book is available, of course, on Amazon and every book platform where you purchase books. I personally think the audible version is better because we have a, a gentleman who reads it, who's the voice of many of, I don't know if you ever read the New Yorker, but or listen to the New Yorker podcast, but he, he does the New Yorker and he is just exquisite and it just makes it so much more engaging. So if I were to choose, I would recommend the audible version of the book. We definitely love audio over here, so I recommend everybody to check it out. Thank you, Scott, for joining me on the podcast today. This was Scott Gitson, founder and CEO of Strawberry Frog. I invited Scott to talk to us about his recent book, Activate Brand Purpose, but if you made it to the end, you realize that our conversation ended up covering so much more. And that's because Scott just has so much marketing wisdom to impart upon us, and we haven't even scratched the surface. So. To read the transcript of this conversation, you can head on over to the Tearsheet website and to stay tuned for upcoming episodes of the Acquire podcast, be sure to subscribe to our marketing newsletter and follow Tearsheet on your favorite podcast platform. If you have any questions, thoughts, or ideas about the Acquire podcast, you can write them to me at Rebecca at Tearsheet.co. I was your host, Rebecca Cohen. Until next time.